the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 441 for November 16th, 2014. President Obama speaks out in support of net neutrality, the Justice Department accused of flying fake cell towers around the U.S., and Apple finally releases a tool to disassociate phone numbers with iMessage. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android, iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. Well, first up in the news, President Barack Obama on Monday said in a statement that he supports the concept of net neutrality and provided a plan to keep the internet open. According to Obama, we cannot allow internet service providers to restrict the best access or to pick winners and losers in the online marketplace for services and ideas. That is why today I'm asking the FCC to answer the call of almost 4 million public comments and implement the strongest possible rules to protect net neutrality. Now, Obama says the FCC can create the legal framework to ensure the Internet remains an open marketplace and called upon the agency to reclassify consumer broadband service under Title II of the Telecommunications Act, effectively defining it as a utility. This would give the FCC a much broader power to regulate how much broadband companies can behave in providing Internet access to customers. Obama wants to see Internet suppliers prevented from blocking content and throttling Internet speeds. Now, he also believes uh, he also, I should say wants to see increased transparency between um, ISPs and their customers and he believes paid prioritization need to, needs to be struck down saying that no service should be stuck in the slow lane because it does not pay the fee. He also acknowledged that the FCC as an independent organization is ultimately the one that has to make its own decision and he hopes that uh, through the commission uh, will make the right choice in the matter. Following the statement, a number of industry organizations issued responses, but I want to talk about it just a little bit because it is a pretty interesting topic here. You know, it is. And, and firsthand, it affected me uh, quite a bit uh, with Comcast's, uh, you know, deal with Netflix where they were throttling it down. I mean, I could get, you know, crappy, crappy streaming quality. I, I would get 300 kilobits per second is all I'd get. And, you know, that's really not even watchable. Uh, I mean, it's very, very blocky at that speed. And right there, you know, they, they had to do a deal with uh, Comcast to, uh, to, 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 you know, bring up the speeds back to what normal. And, and the thing is, you know, I pay Comcast a certain amount of uh, money per month to get a bandwidth. And then, of course, the, you know, they, they claim there's a 250 uh, gigabyte limit, but uh, they're not enforcing that currently. But I expect to be able to use that bandwidth to my uh, to, to whatever I want it uh, for and in. And that's the kind of, you know, expectation you have. And, and if you, it's a slippery slope when you decide to then have all these different services paying different rates, because that's what the internet was based on is, you know, all or nothing. I mean, you get, you know, the data is data, no matter what, what it's going to, what type of service it is. That's why we have so much innovation on the internet and so many cool services and, and neat things. Uh, and if we don't, keep it this way it really will change it and stifle the innovation and uh be very expensive for everybody and it'll really change the change the you know change the landscape entirely i think that's very true and and on the the flip side of that obviously the 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 
corporations that are out there that are running these networks are going to feel very differently uh, because this is their business and they're trying to do things and they've got certain metrics and and uh, and things that they're trying to hit and so ultimately they have to you know they have to understand what this is going to mean for them uh, and and it could be it could be bad things if they're considered uh, you know classified as utilities and ultimately having to uh, fall under the same guidelines as the the public utilities we have today. Well, and uh, I'm really uh, for that because, you know, you know, the Internet being a dumb pipe, so to speak, is is really ideal for uh, for everyone except for the companies that provide the service because they want to try to monetize everything and make more money off things. And and, and obviously we've talked about this you know, to death, but, you know, Comcast providing a lot of, you know, Internet service for everyone out there. I mean, they're they have huge competition with Netflix and, you know, Hulu and these other companies that they're then paying to transport. And then you're canceling your cable subscription because you've got Netflix now. They don't want that. That is a complete conflict of interest. And and, and granted, usually you have a choice of, you know, going with your phone uh, provider or your, uh, you know, cable, but the speed is totally different. So it really should be something that's completely isolated from the content that, uh, you know, that you're getting. And and even the phone network isn't uh, really much different either, especially with Skype. I mean, for the first few years, they they were blocking Skype even and voice over IP applications over, you know, DSL connections because they're directly competing with the service that's carrying over the Internet. So that just doesn't it doesn't work it really doesn't it's interesting as we get further and further along uh the majority of the things that we're talking about doing here are no longer segregated into separate types of uh, businesses uh you know more and more it's just a it's all digital all internet based whether it's video or voice or what you know whatever it is and so it's interesting how how that is totally changing these models for these companies so uh, i mentioned that uh, a number of responses were issued to obama's statement so let's jump in and obviously first and foremost was the fcc and chairman tom wheeler jumping in and saying that he's welcoming of obama's comments and said that the agency would add them to the existing public discourse regarding the subject but did say nothing about adopting any of the recommendations according to wheeler quote the more deeply we examine the issues around the various legal options the more it has become clear that there is more work to do. The approaches before us raise substantive legal questions. We found that we need more time to examine these to ensure what approach is to be taken and it can withstand any legal challenges from there. So the uh, the CTIA, which is kind of the, the association body that, that stands for everything in uh, the wireless associations of, uh, of the United States uh, and really around the world, too, jumped in and they said they're lobbying for the wireless industry's interests in Washington, disagreeing with Obama's proposal in the strongest terms. Speaking for the association, President Meredith Baker said imposing antiquated common carrier regulation on the vibrant mobile wireless ecosystem would be a gross overreaction that would impose inappropriate regulation on a dynamic industry that would threaten mobile providers' ability to invest and innovate, and all of the detriment of that would be to the customer. The CTIA strongly opposes such an approach. Yeah, I'm sure they do because, you know, this, of course, threatens their bottom line and this, you know, they're representing all the carriers. And every time you've got something where you can then monetize different sort of, uh, you know, services on there and restrict things down and and create a, you know, money on both sides, because then you don't want to start charging customers for video streaming. Then you want to charge the content delivery networks for that video streaming that, of course, they're going to say that. And this is where it's uh, it's definitely troubling that, you know, these these you know, particular groups have lots and lots and lots of lobbying power. And, you know, the elected officials really don't have much of a, 
you know, technology-based background to really fight this sort of thing, to even understand what they're getting handed to look at. So they just, you know, agree to it. Okay, sure, why not? Uh, and this is what's, uh, what is disturbing on, on many levels, of course, of uh, legislation, not just related, related to uh, wireless. It's not just related to wireless. And, and this is where, it, you know, you have to think about it across all facets of, uh, of the industry when we're talking about wh- how you access the Internet. So think about it in, in how many different you know, companies you're touching there, whether it's your, your wireless carrier, the carrier or provider you have at home for your inter- Internet connection, whether it's your cable company or your local telco that's providing that service over, you know, DSL or fiber connection. Uh, obviously, when you're heading to different places such as work or a coffee shop or another public place, all of these different places and all of these different companies are going to be affected by this. So let's talk about what the companies are saying. AT&T chiming in on this and saying, uh, that they'll even threaten legal action about it. Uh, the AT&T Senior Executive VP of External and Legislative Affairs said that the announcement by the White House, if acted upon by the FCC, would be a mistake and they would do trem- it would do tremendous harm to the Internet and U.S. national interests. If the FCC puts the rules in place, we would expect to participate in a legal challenge of such action. From Verizon, they issued a similar statement saying reclassification under Title II, which for the first time would apply 1930s-era utility regulation to the Internet, would be a radical reversal of course that would in and of itself threaten great harm to an open internet okay so now taking the step back to uh, look at this 90 1930s uh, regulation here if you look back on that regulation what was bad about that i can't tell you one thing except for companies having to hold up a level of service and provide people with uh, working phones wherever they were at uh, i mean yes it cost them money and this is what they're uh, complaining about. But what it did was allow us to have a nationwide phone network that everybody could connect to. And it was reliable, very, very reliable due to those regulations. And this is, uh, again, I, I don't see a problem with this, but I, I can see why they do, because obviously it's an exceptionally, uh, potentially costly. But really, if they do this, uh, you, you know, do it correctly, people will sign up and they will subscribe because they want their internet connection. So that's what's really strange. And I know Comcast also had a uh, comment on this, and they were in full support of the president because they have to be. Uh, there was numerous articles saying, oh, we like this uh, deal. We like this announcement by the president, but they have to be under their uh, contractual obligations with their merger with uh, Universal. But when that expires in a couple of years, uh, I'm sure that their tune will change very quickly. Yeah. And uh, and just to finish up on Verizon, like AT&T, they said that uh, they will also face strong legal challenges uh, that would this this course of action on the reclassification would face law strong legal challenges that would likely not stand up in court, uh, at least in their opinion. Uh, following all of this commentary uh, on Wednesday, so a day later, Chairman Wheeler told the Washington Post that he likely will take a different approach to net neutrality than the one proposed by the president. And uh, speaking uh, to executives from Google, Yahoo and Etsy, he also said that uh, what you want is what everyone wants, which is an open Internet that doesn't affect your business. And what I've got to figure out is how to split that baby. Uh, Wheeler hopes to find middle ground that will make, make both consumers and businesses happy. The Post is suggesting that if Wheeler does not, in fact, take or does, in fact, take a different route, it could create a discord between the White House and the FCC. I think that's uh, pretty apparent here in what's happening. Uh, now, in related news, and if you want to know what this all means and, and where the rubber meets the road, AT&T on Wednesday said that it is putting 
its plans on hold to bring fiber-based broadband to markets around the country. According to CEO Randall Stevenson, it's hitting pause thanks to the recent debate over net neutrality. And according to him, he says that we can't go out and invest the kind of money that we would to deploy fiber in 100 cities across the country, not knowing what these rules would happen to our investments and how they'd be governed. He said, we think it's prudent to just pause this and make sure that we have the line of sight to an understanding as to what those rules would look like. And uh, the hold, of course, does not affect wireless investments, uh, including the bidding that happened this week uh, for the AWS 3 Spectrum auction, but uh, rather the the, the landline-based fiber network. So uh, what this means is we're going to see a lot of interesting things here happening from the businesses that are providing these services to us. And ultimately, uh, there could be some changes in the wind uh, if this does, uh, in fact, come into play in that uh, they would have to uh, they would have to be under some different type of rules and uh, deal with things a little bit differently. So uh, interesting stuff there. And we'll be watching this one very closely because this is going to affect all of us moving forward. In other news, the U.S. Justice Department has reportedly been using fake cell phone towers installed in airplanes to acquire cell phone data for tracking down criminals. This, according to the Wall Street Journal, the program allegedly that's been in place since 2007 uses Cessna airplanes that operate out of at least five metropolitan area airports. Aircraft in the program are outfitted with something called a dirt box, and this is a device produced by Boeing that's designed to mimic a cell phone tower fooling a phone to report unique registration information and ultimately track down individuals that are under investigation. According to the uh, Wall Street Journal, these devices let investigators gather identifying information and general location data from thousands of cell phones in one flight, and Apple's encryption policies, as an example, don't prevent that collection of data. Now, the fake towers are able to uh, interrupt calls on certain phones, with authorities attempting to minimize harm by ensuring they don't interrupt emergency calls, and the technology can then also pinpoint a suspect's cell phone location down to three meters. Apparently, the program is run by the U.S. Marshals Service, and in some cases, individuals involved have raised concerns about the legality of the operation and if there are effective procedures in place to safeguard the handling of that data that's being acquired as it's actually capturing data from thousands of non-criminal individuals on each flight that it takes. Now, it's not known how often the flights take place, as the Wall Street Journal sources did not give up that information, but they reportedly take place on a regular basis. Justice Department officials did not confirm or deny the existence of the program when questioned, stating that the discussion of the matter could allow criminal suspects or foreign powers to determine U.S. surveillance capabilities. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't do it every single day because they've got, uh, you know, it's cheap to collect thousands of, you know, uh, if you really boil it down, you say you've got one investigation that gets caught by uh, one of these particular, you know, sources of data. Uh, that can pay for itself pretty quick, but it's uh, it's very interesting, and I'm, I guess I'm not surprised with the you know with the prevalence of uh, you know prepaid cell phones where they're you know quote unquote untraceable. This is your way to trace that because if you've got a phone number that you've got a suspect, let's say that they're investigating and they call a particular number, then you can then isolate that and find find where they're at even if you don't have you know any information about that uh you know you can really kind of surreptitiously um you know uh, collect all this information about phones and and i wonder legal wise they may be able to get away with this because this is over the air they're not wiretapping anything um you know, you know they're not physically connecting a wire to something else this is granted they're licensed frequency spectrums but you can receive any airwave. I mean, that's kind of in the public. So this is a, is a really interesting uh, kind of legal question too, whether they can do this and the data that they're collecting. It's 
um, you know, I, I suppose it really does come in handy, especially if they're doing, you know, major crime, you know, uh, you know, I could see organized crime would be something that this would be really effective in, uh, dealing with and collecting data for them to, uh, prosecute. Oh, absolutely. It's going to be effective. And I think it's very interesting how they're going about doing it. Uh, ingenious, in fact, uh, to be able to just fly over and catch all that data, uh, but definitely raises some privacy concerns. And I, I can imagine just, you know, just what kind of information they're receiving with this this whole process is is, is just absolutely fascinating to be able to track and find out where people are. And, and really, all it takes is just is flying over, uh, flying over an area and you're going to be able to at just a couple thousand feet collect information of everybody on the ground. I mean, is it is more and more uh, of what we see with like the Edward Snowden leaks and what we hear about the, you know, the government subpoenas for the, uh, uh, you know, data from Apple and Google and your search histories. I don't know if you whenever you hear somebody being accused of, let's say, a school shooting, for example, you hear immediately, well, you know, they they read their Facebook profiles, their Twitter profiles, their whole life becomes an open book immediately. And you, you know, dig down even further for somebody who's committed crimes. And all of a sudden they've got their whole Google search history. Whenever you listen to these, you know, murder mystery shows on TV, they've got, uh, you know, their whole Google search history where they search for this and they search for this. And then they did this. You, You can build a pretty big profile that you know, may not actually be accurate even, but it's there and it becomes evidence. And then you've got all of this information that just basically says, if you're a criminal and doing something bad, stay away from any sort of technology is what this basically boils down to, because you will be caught if you're using anything that plugs into anywhere. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty uh, interesting how you we've changed so much just over the last 10 years, really, and in, in, in how much data can be collected on, on where we are and what we're doing and stuff like that. And we're providing most of this information out there freely. Uh, when you check into a place or you post what you're doing, you post photos, those photos have geotag information. I mean, there's all sorts of interesting stuff here um, that uh, we may or may not be paying attention to when we're dealing with things. So um, just rounding out this particular topic here, Verizon and AT&T and Sprint all basically either declining to comment on this or saying that they're not aware of any programs and whether or not they exist. So uh, they're, they're staying as far away from this one as they can, uh, as they should. Uh, this is definitely something that the government's going to have to deal with here. And I would imagine that if uh, any of this comes to light and, and further investigates, uh, it's going to be shut down pretty quickly here just because it's a, it's a nightmare for them. Uh, and uh, I, I think they're going to try and cover it up very quickly, though. Well, the government will because they won't they they won't stop because they're they're not technically interfering with their service. They're just receiving, you know, just 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 watching. So uh, there's probably little they could do uh, for this, and and I doubt they'll shut this down because they'll just you know uh, claim it under Patriot Act and all that uh, stuff. I mean, it is domestic surveillance. That's that's the real unfortunate part about it is that it 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 it, it really is uh, pretty invasive. So. Uh, but it's cheap for them to do. And, you know, they, they, it seems like, uh, you know, privacy is kind of the last thing on the, the government's uh, priority list. Yeah, I guess the uh, the alternative is they could drive around and uh, collect this type of information. Right. Uh, I mean, it's it's just yet another way to do it. Um, it doesn't have to be a plane. It could be a helicopter. Too. It could be a drone. It could be all sorts of different things. So very just could uh, be an antenna on top of a tall building. I that's mean, right. It, it yeah. really yeah. doesn't I mean, need to be multi- anything. Multiple yeah. antennas to triangulate, you know, basically set up a, a network of pseudo uh, pseudo cell towers, just like the the carriers are doing. So very interesting stuff here. Switching over to uh, more carrier news of Verizon on Wednesday, announcing that it will give away content to all U.S. wireless users on Wednesday, November 26th. 
Verizon dubbing the day Connection Day, offering mobile access to movies and TV shows via the Fios preview application. Ten free apps from Amazon and two free uh, audiobooks from Audible will also be available. And uh, also in there, a special offer from Apple's iTunes store, as well as 17 free Condé Nast digital magazines, 30 minutes of free Wi-Fi at airports via Boingo and onboard airplanes via GoGo and a seven-day trial of Pandora One. So lots of free stuff being given away here. It's a partnership with Verizon, uh, of course, that all of these companies are creating here. And in the air, JetBlue has pledged to offer free in-flight Wi-Fi on flights between November 26th and December 24th. So if you're flying JetBlue, you're going to get free internet. So that's pretty neat. Verizon's More Everything Plan customers who register for Connection Day online are eligible to receive a one-time gift of one gig of shareable data applied to their account, plus another one gig of data for the following billing cycle. Lastly, Verizon customers who aren't on More Everything plans are eligible for a discount on a Mophie Power Station 4000. In order to access the content, just visit Verizon's Connection Day website. Also from Verizon, the carrier changed its terms of service to increase the amount customers will have to spend if they break their contract. Under the old terms of service, all smartphone customers paid an early termination fee of $350, prorated and decreased by $10 each month beginning on the first day of their contract. Now effective on uh, November 24th, uh, excuse me, November 14th, this past Friday, Verizon delaying the monthly early termination fee drop after customers have been with Verizon a minimum of eight months. So under the new terms, customers who choose to leave uh, the carrier before eight months will have to pay $350, not the $270 that they would have had to under the old terms. Verizon says early termination fees will now decline by $10 per month in months 8 through 18 and $20 a month in months 19 through 23 and then $60 in the last month that the customer has a contract. All existing contracts are subject to the terms of service when that particular agreement was signed. Yeah, it kind of makes sense because we've got some of the uh, the higher end devices are starting to become more and more expensive. Like the the, the note was how much eight hundred and forty nine dollars. So if you got if they start selling more and more devices like this, if you take that first five months, the device is still worth a lot of money uh, on the secondhand market. But you're now only into them for what is it? You know, two hundred, three hundred dollars plus three hundred dollars, six hundred dollars. So they're still coming at you know, you know they're they're losing a couple of hundred bucks on the price of that device if you don't pay them uh, that full amount, uh, you know, that that little bit longer period up front. So I, I can see why they're doing this. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. And obviously, you know, there are some, uh, you know, there's some concerns with this. If you're someone who's going and buying a new phone and paying for a new contract tomorrow, uh, you're going to be subject to this. But at the same time, and it's it's not like they increased the amount of uh, the early termination fee because they could have done that, too. They could have said, you know, we're going to increase it by 70, 80 bucks and uh, and bumped it up over four hundred dollars and still gone with a ten dollars a month. So it's you know, it's just another way for them to uh, to get this money back. Because technically, isn't this still cheaper than like if you went and bought an iPhone six? for $200, a 16 gig version, plus $350, that's, you know, $550, Mm there's $650 to actually buy an an iPhone 16 gig, right? So there's still a hundred bucks less than what it would cost. Yeah. And uh, you you obviously just have to deal with all of the, you know, the hassle of uh, setting up the account and turning off the account and all of that. But, but yeah, you could save a little bit of money if you decided to do that. So interesting stuff there, obviously, um, you know, it's only going to affect people moving forward. If you're currently under a contract right now, don't have to worry about it. Um, You can cancel right now. If you sign up for something in the last two years with a $10 per month, 
prorated reduction there from them. Freedom Pop on Wednesday made a free international calling plan available to all Android and iOS smartphones. Smartphone owners must first download the Freedom Pop free talk and text application, and then we'll have access to 100 free voice minutes for 52 countries. Those include Mexico, the UK, Canada, China, Hong Kong, Brazil, Argentina, and India. The service will be available to reach as many as 170 countries by the end of the year. People who want more voice minutes can purchase them starting at $5 a month. Freedom Pop is also offering customers the ability to obtain an international number to help reduce the cost of calling for friends and relatives who live abroad. For example, a US-based customer could get a local number from Paris, France, which customers, uh, friends and family in France could then call them at the local rate. The international number costs $5 per month. In device news this week, Microsoft on Tuesday announcing the Lumia 535. This is its first phone launched without the Nokia brand since it acquired the handset division earlier in the year. The 535 is a low-cost device for emerging markets, featuring a 5-inch QHD display, two 5-megapixel cameras on the front and back. A user-facing camera has the same wide-angle sensor found in the Lumia 735. Both cameras can capture FWVGA video, and it's powered by a 1.2 gigahertz quad-core Snapdragon 200 processor with a one gig of ram the 535 has eight gigs of storage and supports micro sd cards up to 128 gigabytes microsoft will sell the 535 in single and dual sim variants but only supporting 3g networks including wcdma networks up to 42 megabits per second but no lte other radios include bluetooth wi-fi and gps a wide range of colors are available and the phone will ship with windows phone 8.1 it's available uh, beginning later this month in emerging markets for 135 dollars now blackberry on thursday making the blackberry classic handset available for pre-order in the u.s the classic runs blackberry 10 and has a traditional bar style phone with a square touchscreen and physical qwerty keyboard it offers a classic blackberry button layout as well including send and end buttons as well as a back and menu button and as well an optical trackpad. The device supports both BlackBerry 10 and Android applications. BlackBerry didn't say how much the phone will cost nor when it will ship. BlackBerry also didn't say which carriers will support the classic. AT&T and Sprint this week began accepting pre-orders for the Nexus 6 smartphone, offering the device for $683 and uh, $696 on no contract respectively. Contract pricing for the carriers will be $250 and $299 respectively. For a limited time, at AT&T is offering new and existing customers a $50 discount on a Moto 360 smartwatch when purchased with a Nexus 6. AT&T didn't say when the Nexus 6 will ship or reach stores. T-Mobile also released information about the device but said they would be pushing the device launch back to uh, from November 8th to later in the month to provide users a better experience iOS software news, Apple publishing a tool this week on its website uh, for making uh, the disassociation of a phone number that is tied to iMessage uh, without the actual need for an iPhone. So here's the deal. iPhone users who switch away but want to keep the same number can lose text messages uh, that were sent from other iPhones because Apple keeps the number associated with that Apple device and the message is sent through to the iMessage service. Apple says that if possible, users should first turn off iMessage directly on their Apple device People who are no longer in possession of an Apple device now have another option, though. The website makes it possible to deregister from iMessage by typing in the phone number onto the site and confirming it via an SMS code sent to that phone number. So the steps include going to selfsolve.apple.com slash deregister iMessage from any web browser. Scroll down uh, to the second option labeled no longer have your iPhone. Enter your phone number and that you'd like to deactivate. Wait for the current phone to receive the text message. And 
and enter that number and iMessage will now be deactivated. Once the steps are complete, messages should flow through as text messages to users without issue. It's about time for this one. This should have been available the minute that iMessage was launched. I cannot believe with uh, you know with a bunch of expletives in front of that that they took them this long to do this. And uh, I my mom, for example, had an iPhone and she switched over to an Android after. Uh, you know, uh, Verizon technical support couldn't help her do something. So, but, and, and still that was six, seven months ago and her, her, uh, number still shows up as a blue eye message. And if I send her a message, it just says delivered and it actually isn't. And I cannot believe this. And especially if it's not more automatic too, after six months, shouldn't have been taken it off by now. They, they shouldn't, they be purging non-active accounts, uh, with, uh, some sort of period of, uh, regular contact. I mean, come on, come on. This is ridiculous. Yeah, it is. But uh, it, there's a way to deal with it now and you don't have to have the phone. So it's it's a, a nice thing that they've at least, you know, issued this. And of course, the text message is uh, required. So you can't just go deregistering uh, people. Uh, but uh, you can easily see how it works by going there, entering your phone number and you'll receive a text message. If you don't do anything with the text message, nothing will happen. And related news, Apple must now face a lawsuit in federal court over vanishing text messages due to the iMessage system holding a phone number in the system. After the user begins using that other device, U.S. District Court Judge Lucy Coe said that Apple has to, has to hear the claim from Adrian Moore, who says Apple blocked messages sent by iPhone users after she switched away from an iPhone 4S to the Samsung Galaxy S5. Moore further claims that Apple's iMessage system interfered with her contract with Verizon Wireless. Plaintiff uh, does not have the uh, to allege an absolute right to receive every text message in order to allege that Apple's international intentional acts have caused an actual be- breach in disruption of the contractual relationship. Well, on that note, I should sue Google for not accepting MMS messages and just making them vanish every time someone sends them to me, right? And group SMS uh, or MMS, right? I mean, same token. What? How, how haven't they been sued yet for just absorbing those messages without actually delivering them? It is interesting how they've really pushed for Google Voice, and especially with Android users, you've been able to set that up pretty easily and uh, not getting any MMS messages when uh, being sent until very recently. So yeah, it's a great point. Um, uh, you know, I guess it's just uh, kind of the cost of doing business with that service, which is a free service. So it's not like you're not getting what you're not paying for. LG on Sunday said it will begin distributing Android 5.0 Lollipop to its G3 smartphone in the upcoming weeks. LG will deliver Lollipop to G3 owners in Poland first, followed by other key markets in the near future. The company said that it's the first handset maker to offer Android 5 to existing devices. They said that it will publish a schedule detailing the Lollipop upgrade for other LG phones. Nexus phones, including the Nexus 4 and 5 that were made by LG, will receive the update directly from Google. Samsung on Thursday announcing a new service called Flow. This is similar to Apple's continuity feature that syncs up content between devices. According to Samsung, people today use multiple devices in their daily activities, including phones, tablets, laptops, smartwatches, and TVs. But the way people work is still device-centric, meaning that people still use one application within one device with data that is tied to that application and device. Samsung Flow is a platform that enables developers to create transitions across devices so that people can change devices in the middle of an activity and continue from right where they left off. Flow is compatible with anything that works with Android's share feature, so if the content can be shared with other applications, it will work. Essentially, Flow is the uh, the equivalent of iCloud tabs, allowing you to start reading a web page on one device and then continue on another. The same functionality is handoff, starting work on a document on one device and continuing on another, and of course, continuity-style abilities to take phone calls 
on other devices. So yes, you will still now be able to receive your phone calls on a Samsung tablet if you're using a Samsung phone. So all great news there if you want to dive into the Samsung ecosystem in that regard. Google on Monday announcing that Verizon wireless customers can now finally send and receive MMS messages through their Google Voice number. According to Google, MMS is supported by all major carriers in the U.S. and Canada. And further, Google has added native MMS support to Google Voice. This means users who add their Google Voice number to Hangouts can actually attach photos to Google Voice messages rather than send an SMS with a photo link. Google said support for group messaging via MMS will be available soon. So yes, we're still lacking of that piece of it, which is actually the piece that I care about the most. Exactly. So hopefully, uh, hopefully, maybe someday they'll fix that. I would imagine. I mean, now that we're able to do MMS group messaging, it just seems like it's almost like a flipping of a switch or whatever. But I did verify this. I used my number, my my personal number, Verizon number to send to my Google Voice accounts. Both received the MMS that I sent. And you received it via email, correct? No, 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 no. no. It comes through in Google Voice now. It all, oh, okay. it all but just were, works. Were you using, using Hangouts at all? Well, like, of course, I, yes, it's Hangouts. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's Hangouts. Because I, I wonder how if it works without Hangouts. Um, I would, yeah. Uh, I don't know. We'll figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, I guess we'll figure that out later. I know I'm, I'm using Hangouts now. Um, and you have a Google Plus account because I wonder if it's tied to that as well. Because if you have a Hangouts, I tried this, you can't send pictures over Hangouts if you don't have a Google Plus account either. Well, I, they're saying it's native now. So you can now natively send MMS to Google Voice. So I'm hopeful we have questions that we cannot answer. Hopefully we'll figure this out soon and uh, ultimately it'll just work. And that, that's really the key here is just getting this to work and not having to worry about having things or not having things, right? YouTube on Wednesday announcing a new music service on Android and iOS devices as well as the web, including access to millions of music videos. YouTube also created new pages that display an artist's entire discography and all of the videos associated with their music. The corresponding app update should arrive for Android and iOS soon. The features are being made available to all users for free. YouTube also announced a premium service called Music Key, which offers ad-free playback, as well as the ability to listen to music videos in the background. Music Key costs $10 a month, but YouTube is discounting it for a limited time to just $8 a month. The subscription fee includes access to Google Play Music, which has more than 30 million songs and hundreds of curated playlists and radio stations. Music Key is being offered as a limited beta to start, and YouTube said it will eventually expand that over time. BlackBerry and Samsung on Thursday announcing an agreement to sell each other's security software. The joint effort is made uh, meant to help Samsung sell more phones and help BlackBerry win over more Bez customers. Samsung's Knox security platform is embedded in many of its devices, and it can be used to separate work and personal information as well as secure the data on that device. BlackBerry's Bez services allow businesses to remotely manage Android, BlackBerry, iOS, and Windows Phone smartphones. The companies think that its partnership will appeal to businesses that want to use Samsung handsets for the Knox platform, but manage them via Bez. Motorola on Wednesday said that owners of its second-generation Moto X and Moto G handsets can update their phones to Android 5.0 Lollipop. Motorola has made Lollipop available to the Moto X Pure Edition, Moto G GSM, and Moto G GSM Global Editions. Retail versions sold in the U.S. will also be updated. Motorola said the rollout will be done in phases and may take several days to reach all devices. Then later on Wednesday, Google said that it has also begun Android 5 Lollipop rollouts to Nexus devices. So the Nexus 5, 4, and 7 will all have the new operating system as well. Questions and comments this week. Let's start it off with a voicemail from Ben. 
Hey, Joey and Mickey, this is Ben Forrest out of Red Bank, New Jersey. I've been listening to the conversations about T-Mobile and also the Wi-Fi telephones. So we've been using it basically since the day it's come out. Our house in Red Bank, New Jersey has always had kind of a spotty phone quality uh, with both AT&T and T-Mobile. Verizon, of course, works great. Um, anyway, I won't go into that story again, but just to say that the phone calls over Wi-Fi have been working really well, especially now that there's been some updates out. I know there was a carrier update in 8.1. I don't know who's what. When it first came out, it was a little spottier. Um, there would be some shakiness on the phone calls. Um, you know, with, I guess I'd say dropping out or some. It was sort of choppy. Also, the visual voicemail didn't seem to work. Those issues seem to have been ironed out by T-Mobile and perhaps Apple. And so we're having a really good um, Wi-Fi phone call, uh, I guess phone calls over Wi-Fi experience now. And this also has ramifications for when we travel because we do travel with places that have good, that have good Wi-Fi support and we'll be able to use our phones when we need to. So that's really great. And I'm so um, really so impressed that T-Mobile pushed this out and got it working so seamlessly. It just, and it just works. Once you turn it on, you have to kind of go into the settings. It'll dig in a little bit to turn it on in the carrier settings. But it's, once it's done, it works. As a matter of fact, if I had any complaints, is it works too well because I was used to sort of putting my phone into airplane mode and just having the Wi-Fi on and sort of using it as an iPod and reading email and going surfing with it. And now I get phone calls all the time you know, at odd hours. And so I have to hit the, you know, reject phone call option. Uh, and I don't feel like digging into the settings to turn off the Wi-Fi phone calling over Wi-Fi. So uh, I don't know if there's a shortcut. If somebody does out there, let me know. I'd love it if there was just some sort of button you press to sort of say, I want Wi-Fi and network connectivity, but I don't really feel like receiving calls right now. I would like that. Anyway, so uh, that's my report. Um, and we have the iPhone 6 now, and we are just loving the iPhone 6. Um, so we're using two phones. Actually, our entire house is pretty much using the Wi-Fi uh, with these Apple devices now. Over. Ben, thank you very much for the voicemail. Great to hear from you. And uh, thank you very much for the commentary on uh, T-Mobile and how you're using the service. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's really great to, uh, you know, to hear, again, just more and more positive stuff here. Um, and uh, I'm really glad to hear that uh, with the latest updates to the iPhone that everything is uh, working as it should. Um, yes, it is interesting, though, that you can no longer really turn off your phone if you enable Wi-Fi calling, uh, because obviously when you put it into airplane mode, but turn Wi-Fi on, you're going to still get calls. So you just have something you have to deal with. But uh, very, uh, very good to hear that your, uh, your experiences are good. Next up is a voicemail from Josh. Hey, Mickey, this is Josh recording from Denver on my iPhone 6. Um, question for you for this week. Um, I have a Verizon uh, network extender and I noticed that if you have LTE voice enabled, it does not work. Um, it only seems to work with LTE data and um, I guess whatever standard Verizon normally uses for their voice. Just found that out this week because I had to return my wife's iPhone 6 because she thought it was too big and I got her the 5S. Worked perfectly with the 5S. Cannot see my iPhone 6. So just something I thought I'd throw out there. Thanks. Love the show as always and keep up the great work. Josh, thank you very much uh, for the uh, comment there. And I, I wanted to talk a little bit about this here and what is exactly happening for you. So um, the Verizon Network Extender is a CDMA 
amplification device. So what that essentially is doing for you is it is taking any um, any of the voice and data traffic that you have and pushing it over um, a back through the the network extender over your internet connection. But that's only going to relate to the the one XRTT and uh, the three G or EVDO traffic that you have on the data side. And of course, all calls are going over the CDMA network uh, technology. So. Uh, with the latest devices that Verizon has come out with, if they were running on LTE uh, but not voice over LTE, they, when you were making a call, it was actually going out and making the call back over the CDMA network. So you're not exactly uh, making it, it really has nothing to do with LTE at that point. If you are doing this um, now with an iPhone 6 as an example or an Android device that's got voice over LTE, the calls are going out over voice over LTE. And so it's, go it's not going through the network network extender at all. Um, and this is something that I noticed that, that right away when I got the device and switched it on to voice over LTE is that when I made a call, I no longer heard the chime uh, when I went to place the call on the phone. If you use a network extender, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You get a tone at the beginning of the call that tells you that you're on, that you're connected to the network extender. So unless you turn off uh, voice over LTE uh, for for calling, you're not going to any longer use the Verizon network extender. So it's essentially worthless for calling. Yeah, unfortunately, that's what happens until they update the network extenders to actually provide an LTE signal source as well. I mean, one that uh, impersonates an LTE network connection. I and mean, it took forever for them to have a 3G version where you could actually get uh, EVDO data over the network extender. For, for a really long time, it was just the 1X is all you could get over the uh, network extender. So probably have to wait another year before they release a, a model that's compatible with uh, voice over LTE, if not longer. I guess the good news is that hopefully you're in an area where um, uh, well, maybe not hopefully, but potentially you're in an area where service is bad enough so that you're not actually on uh, the network when you're um, on the LTE network when you're having to use this thing. And uh, so in, in that case, it would uh, it would then switch over and you would be able to use this here. But, um, you know, you may have to reposition it in your house. Uh, it may just be something that gets used in a basement, as an example, and not, you know, on a main level or something. Um, and, and you may have to deal with that uh, because, yeah, it's not going to work unless it, the service is uh, such that it's dropping off of LTE. You can always turn off the uh, voice over LTE um, by going in, but that's obviously not going to be really helpful if you're trying to, you know, take advantage of that and, and the simultaneous voice and data, which I'm guessing you are. So uh, very interesting here, kind of a predicament for those that are using this here, but uh, this is life is what we're looking at right now. So uh, interesting stuff there though. And then uh, finally today, question from Kevin. He says, Mickey and Joey, do you think it's possible to have Android Wear on the iPhone? I've been thinking about wearables for a long time now. I like iOS over Android but the Apple Watch and prices are going to be way too high. I think that if Android Wear was made for iOS, that the Moto 360 would be even a bigger hit because of the design, and then it would be cross-platform. We'd like to know your input and thoughts on this. Thank you, Kevin. Well, Kevin, uh, I, I do think it technically is a possibility, but highly unlikely. You know, Apple is not going to have anything to do with helping manufacturers of anything other than their Apple Watch. So I would imagine that you're going to be waiting a long time here before something like this were to come out. Well, and just like with what we've seen with other devices, 
Apple's Bluetooth stack is kind of restricted. Whereas if, uh, you know, for example, I've got this uh, Bluetooth uh, ODB2 uh, code reader for uh, a vehicle and it's, well, no, I'm sorry. I don't have the Bluetooth one. I had to get the Wi-Fi one in order to get it to work properly with iPhone because they don't allow the different protocols over the Bluetooth stack like Android does. So uh, with that same kind of thing, you're, you're limited. I mean, there is an app for Pebble, but I don't think you get the full functionality like you do on Android just because of the, 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 the closed, the more closed nature of the iOS system. Yeah, which is, you know, that's a whole other thing is you've got devices out there like the Pebble, but but that's not, uh, you know, that's not really, um, you know, I guess we'll say in, in the direct uh, path of, of Apple and what they're going to be doing here, uh, like the Android Wear devices are. So um, we'll we'll see. I, I'm I'm I guess you know I think about it a little bit more. If they release an app and the app gets, you know, it doesn't it doesn't conflict with any of the things that the 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 API issues that they would that Apple would have with this, maybe it would get approved. Yeah, it, I mean it, it's possible that it would, but you know, really, you want your companion device to be integrated on a more lower level than just you know app level. So uh, you, you know, really it it probably would be best to try to stick to the platform where they're compatible on a real deep level. Yeah, I think I agree with that. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, Kevin, I think you're going to be relegated to us switching over to a different platform or choosing an iWatch if that's what you're looking to do. Um, You know, Pebble may be a a good third-party option as well, but uh, uh, it's definitely not going to have the uh, the cachet and it's not going to have the functionality uh, either uh, from what you're going to see in the Apple Watch or if you're using Android for one of the devices that they're making uh, for that platform. Well, if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Give us a call, 206-203-3. 3734 or uh, send us an email questions at We'd love to hear from you and uh, we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at the cellphonejunkie.com.